Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, Centered from Reality Podcast. What day is it? Uh, February the 25th. It is a Sunday. It is like 62 out. I am looking up into the barren Peavine Mountains from the room I'm recording this in. It is beautiful. It feels like March. It's almost March. It's almost the clock change. Look, I know we need snow. I know we need more water. I know climate change is a serious issue and it shouldn't be this warm in February. But all of that aside, I'm kind of I'm kind of ready for summer. I'm ready to move on and get, you know, long nights and sit out on the porch and read. That stuff. That stuff where I get off work and it's still light out for a couple hours, I can go on another run, go out with friends and eat outside and blah 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 blah. You guys get it. But anyways, Today was just great. It was, you know, I used to get the Sunday scaries, but Sunday's the only day I have off now, and I, I really enjoy Sundays, especially when the weather's great. I went on a great run today, and I think you really don't have the Sunday scaries when you really enjoy your Sunday, so that's where we're at. I want to talk about chatbots, chat GBT, all of that stuff, and a landmark case out of Canada that basically is holding an airline company responsible for what its chatbot says. Very interesting case. I also want to talk about Alabama and its Supreme Court ruling that frozen embryos can be considered children under state law. This could affect in vitro fertilization, which is a pretty common way for women to be able to have children if they're having difficulties getting pregnant, etc. Also for you know, um, gay couples, there's a lot of reasons why this is a big deal. And it's kind of ironic because again, this is the party that is pro-life and they want people to have more kids. And I would argue IVF actually helps more women have kids in a fairly safe way. And again, this just shows how Roe being overturned was not just about abortion. I would argue it's about limiting contraception it's, it's about limiting every form of birth control or, I guess, also getting pregnant in other ways for women. And it's insane. We'll talk about that. Even Tommy, the deplorable Tuberville senator from Alabama, he's even saying this is unfortunate, which it is. But look, you vote these type of people in. They have these type of views. You overturn Roe v. Wade. This is what you get. It's tragic. And it really does seem like the GOP just has a war on women at this point. And it's, it's pretty, pretty horrible. Before we get into the dark stuff, though, I want to talk about Taco Bell. <laughs> You're probably going, Alex, like, WTF, why are you talking about Taco Bell to begin this? And I don't know, I just saw this post on Instagram. It probably came from X, I'm assuming. And this person writes, the Taco Bell drive-thru at 1 a.m. will have a $200,000 Mercedes S65 waiting right behind a 96 Cavalier that's never had the oil changed, followed by a moped ridden by three people. All of them are craving the same thing, to live moss. Truly the great melting pot of class in this country. The last, sorry, truly the last great melting pot of class in this country. And then so I texted one of my buddies that meme or post, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what the kids call them these days, but I sent him that. And he's like, maybe they should move the UN to a Taco Bell. And, you know, Tim Dillon's talked about this for years, how while government is struggling and our politics are broken and public opinion's insane and the world's falling apart, blah, blah, blah. Taco Bell seems to be innovative, is always doing new things. They get your food out quickly and on time, even if they're busy. And it is one of those interesting places where you you just have people from all walks of life culminating at a Taco Bell. Sometimes, and I'll admit this on the record, which (laughs) 
maybe I'll regret later, but some of the days where I do a double where I, you know, run it, I run at my lunch break and then run after work. There are a few days a month where I see the, the bell, the bell rings, it calls, and I, I want to live moss. And I'll go sit in there and have a few bean and cheese burritos and a taco. And I'll notice that you really do have all types of Americans in Taco Bell. So maybe the government should, I don't know, take some, take some advice, take a note from Taco Bell. <laughs> I'm mainly kidding, but I, I don't know. I just, Taco Bell, as you guys know, if, if you know me personally, I've, I've always found Taco Bell to just be fascinating. So anyways, we will move on. Also, I found out that there is an ultra marathon near um, Pacifico, California, which is on the beach. And I've had co-workers tell me that probably the nicest Taco Bell in the country is the Pacifico one because it's on the beach. It's a cantina, so they serve alcohol. And basically, it's the cheapest oceanfront restaurant you could probably consider eating at. So I'm debating trying to do this race down in the Bay Area and then maybe doing a pilgrimage to this Pacifico Taco Bell cantina afterwards. Let me know if that's crazy, but one day I think it needs to happen. I will also just note, kind of a note to self, don't do cartwheels. Definitely don't do cartwheels if you've never done them before and you're not good at them. I was asked to do a cartwheel for a work um, video. Did not end up going particularly well. And now my Nordica pulling, my skate pulling and my double pulling, I can't really do too well because I kind of tweaked my wrist. So at least I can run. It's better than hurting my knee or hip or whatever, but yeah, um, cartwheels are dangerous, kids, so don't do them at home um, if you've never done them before, especially on a hard surface. So anyways, um, this is, I guess, what happens when I've been doing less podcasts is I have a lot of BS to spew at the beginning. But let's move on and actually get into the first topic, which is the chatbot landmark decision and other things related to that. So I want to thank um, a co-worker who actually told me about this whole thing a couple days ago. And as she was explaining it to me, I'm going, holy crap, I am definitely doing a podcast about this. And I knew it was just going to be a perfect topic to talk about. As you guys, I'm sure, are aware, I have done other episodes on ChatGPT, OpenAI, all of that fun. And I would say I'm pretty skeptical about AI. I think it's useful in data analytics, in data entry. It can be useful in medicine and probably the pharmaceutical industry and creating new medicines, all that chemistry stuff that I don't understand and I think it might be able to do better than humans at, totally. But I'm also just skeptical in what it does to art, intellectual property, humanity as a whole, what it does when when you hear about these hallucinations that happen, when it puts out just wrong information. You also wonder what happens when biased media companies, political figures start using it um, you know, machine learning, all of this stuff. Just, yeah, I have so many issues. I also don't like the idea of AI generated art. I am an art purist. Call me old school if you want. I also don't like the idea of books being written by AI. I think it loses the human struggle and the humanity that creates a good book. All of that aside, <laughs> we're not going to get into my grievances with AI again. But um, anyways, <laughs> I want to talk about this case out of Canada where basically an airline is being held liable for its chatbot giving a passenger bad advice. And it's just bringing up a whole conversation basically about are companies liable for their chatbots? Are chatbots able to actually think for themselves? Are they deemed their own entity? All this stuff. And so basically... Air Canada, Air Canada, sorry, chatbot gave incorrect information to a traveler, 
And basically the airline argued that its chatbot was responsible for its own actions and the airline had nothing to do with it. And so let's get into more of the details though. So what happened is that in 2022, Air Canada's chatbot on its website, I guess promised a discount that is not allowed in the airline's policies. You guys know these chatbots, you go on to an insurance site or an airline site or whatever, and you can kind of talk with it and get information and it can bring you up information and data and it can, you know, give you a hyperlink to a part of the website, that type of thing. And so what happened is there was a passenger named Jake Maffat, I guess, I don't know, I haven't heard his name pronounced, but he needed to get to his grandmother's funeral. And he was basically asking if he could pay the full price right now and then basically get bereavement fare after the fact. So basically get a refund because I, I guess the airline had bereavement fare discounts and he, he was just like, can I just buy this ticket now and then get reimbursed later? And I guess the chatbot said yes, the airline says no. The BBC has a good article on what happened. It writes here in quotes, According to a civil resolutions tribunal decision last Wednesday, when Mafat applied for the discount, the airline said the chatbot had been wrong. The request needed to be submitted before the flight, and it wouldn't offer the discount. Instead, the airline said the chatbot was a, in quotes, separate legal entity that is responsible for its own actions. Now, I don't particularly like the term separate legal entity when talking about a chatbot or anything machine learning or open AI based. None of it. None of it. Nada. Sorry. Now, of course, this comes on top of airlines already overbooking, not putting enough overhead storage for everyone to actually carry on a bag. You guys know the deal. <laughs> That's why our friends over at the Fifth Column podcast always say never fly coach. And if I could afford to never fly coach, I would never fly coach. But Anyways, I, there's so many different tangents I could go off on right now. We're going to avoid the coach airline chaos one as well. But anyways, the British Columbia Civil Resolution Tribunal, which I think is kind of like one of our more local, smaller, minor courts in the United States, it actually didn't agree with the airline's argument and rejected it. <laughs> I love it. It ruled that Air Canada basically needed to pay this guy, Mafat $812.02 in damages and tribunal fees. Tribunal member Christopher Rivers said this in his written response, in quotes, it should be obvious to Air Canada that it is responsible for all the information on its website. It makes no difference whether the information comes from a static page or a chat bot. I think this is interesting because Air Canada says it is not in their policy to reimburse after the fact, and the passenger had to request this ahead of time. And it says that the chatbot should have given a link to it, right, to the, to the language where it says this is impossible, and instead the chatbot listened to the situation and responded saying, no, that makes sense, that's okay to do this. I think it's fascinating because it kind of questions like, is this chatbot just regurgitating information or it, did it listen to this situation specifically and go, no, that, that seems reasonable that the person just buys the ticket now and we reimburse them. And then it comes in complete or conflict with the airline's policies and you kind of go, who is at fault here? I think this is a very, very fascinating case. And it kind of speaks for a lot that's going on with chatbots, open AI, machine learning, Pretty much everything that's just kind of jumped out at us over the last year, year and a half or so. Now, this individual situation aside, 
this is kind of a, a landmark decision. Obviously, this happened in Canada, but not just in Canada. But it's about kind of, to, in my opinion, the responsibility and liability that companies have over their chatbots and machine learning programs. And there's a guy, Gabor Lukacs, really flows off the tongue. Gabor Lukacs, who is the president of the Air Passenger Rights Consumer Advocacy Group, says that this case is landmark because, in quotes, it sets a precedent for airline and travel companies that are increasingly relying on AI and chatbots for customer interactions. He also brings up a good point when he notes that this case, in quotes, establishes a common sense principle. If you are handing over part of your business to AI, you are responsible for what it does. What this decision confirms is that airlines cannot hide behind chatbots. Totally. But then again, on a meta level, it goes, why did this chatbot say it was okay when company policy says you can't reimburse for bereavement rates after the fact? Interesting. Kind of (laughs) creepy. And at the same time, there have been other issues not related to this Air Canada case as well. The BBC in a different article, I I read the BBC a lot, by the way, I just like, I like the outside opinion sometimes, but the BBC notes here in quotes, in 2018, a WestJet chatbot sent a passenger a link to a suicide prevention hotline for no obvious reason. And then the article kind of gets into something I've talked about, maybe not enough, but it talks about how basically this type of mistake in which generative AI tools put out just nonsense information or inaccurate information, it is known as AI hallucinations. And from my understanding, and again, I am not a generative AI expert, but from what it seems like, basically there's a lot of factors that can lead to this happening, but usually it's incorrect assumptions made by the AI model or sometimes just biases in the data that were actually used to train the model. It can also be insufficient training data, And yeah, it can make this thing put out some pretty, pretty weird stuff. And for example, a hallucinating chatbot might, when say asked to generate a financial report, just falsely state the revenue the the company has. Something like that. Just something completely absurd. There was a case, I forget the specifics, but there was a lawyer who was asking ChatGBT to find evidence to back up a court case. And it completely just created its own case that doesn't exist. And then it, and then it's, then it argued it for the lawyer using a case, basically using case study that doesn't exist. You just kind of go, where does that come from? And in this case, to me, this seems like less of a hallucination, at least with the airline, and more of basically like this thing almost like generating its own opinion of the customer's bereavement situation. That's my take from this. Either way, either way, it's pretty fascinating. But it is clear to me that that these type of situations are not going to stop at just airlines. They also just kind of highlight the risks of businesses relying too much on AI and then pushing the blame away, which they always do with everything. But the contradictions are basically everywhere in this, because if you want to save money, embrace new technology or streamline your customer service side by using AI then you kind of also have to be responsible for the costs or risks if they come up along the way, right? And of course, in the philosophical realm, as I've kind of alluded to, there's a lot of layers to this as well. Like, what does it mean 
that this AI doesn't doesn't cite the company's policies and instead gives inaccurate information to the person and actually the person wins against the company because of it? And what is the role of AI in companies when even this company is acknowledging that it's it's action this this chatbot's actions are not those of the company. Like I don't like that verbiage at all. But it is interesting. And before we move on to um, Alabama, I did want to talk about one other layer to AI beyond airlines, and it's more about how it seems like a lot of generative AI is getting into travel. And it looks like a lot of travel companies have embraced AI technology. ChatGBT is the main one, but others have as well. And for example, in 2023, Expedia, excuse me, launched a ChatGBT plugin to help with trip planning. I mean, I think this is atrocious and wrong. As you guys know, I love planning my own trips. But the interesting thing is, is that it seems like in theory, these models should be able to actually help you plan a trip because all of the information is out there, right? Although all these websites have recommendations, there's Reddit forums where people are talking about their trips. There's, you know, <laughs> hundreds of years of travel information and history on countries. So you would think like a chat GBT type of system would be able to run through this and give you a perfect itinerary. And apparently... The, the AI industry is not really good at travel advice. And I read a really good piece in The Atlantic that I wanted to just talk about for a minute as well. And because it does seem like in a sense, we're kind of in this weird like chatbot purgatory or chatbot limbo, just at kind of the moment of technology and how advanced it is. So anyways, this article in The Atlantic talks about Microsoft Copilot, which is a chatbot generative AI model, I believe, that Microsoft is trying to use to basically help people plan their trips. And the author of this article asks it to basically give her a jam-packed 24-hour itinerary uh, visiting Los Angeles. And she doesn't mention this to the co-pilot, the chatbot, but she basically lives there and knows where she should go. And Basically, it gives her all these hot spots in Los Angeles. It gives her a jam-packed 24 hours. But basically, it's all over the city. And she writes, What I didn't tell Copilot is that I already live here and know that such an itinerary is perfect only if your idea of bliss is spending most of the day traversing one of the country's most sprawling, traffic-clogged cities, frantically popping from landmark to landmark. And her point here is that it doesn't actually seem very good at understanding what people do and what they want to see when they travel and just the reality of being able to see all these things within 24 hours. And think about LA. <laughs> 24 hours in LA, you kind of got to pick and choose because as she talks about, the traffic is insane. You're not going to get that far that quickly. So anyways, she talks about how Copilot is Microsoft's piece and they really want to push it to help you, you know, pick a destination, compare flight prices and settle on attractions that are popular. And it's and oh also Meta has a line of chatbot assistants like this on Instagram and Facebook which includes Lorena who I guess is a personal travel expert. There's also Rabbit, the company behind a new AI gadget. And it, one of its main features is helping travel as well. And it is interesting to me because you would think that a chatbot would actually be pretty good at this because from online forums to just 
travel websites to just guided tours and YouTube videos and just everything. You'd think it'd be pretty damn easy to do this, and apparently it's not. And I guess kind of the the controversy here, or I guess you could say just the problem here, is that a lot of these companies are kind of putting all of their chips in one basket towards travel-based chatbots. And if they're not good at it, it's like maybe you should diversify here. And this Atlantic article writes here in quotes, if one were to play AI marketing bingo, trip itinerary would get crossed off basically every time. More than a year into generative AI revolution, companies so frequently suggest that people use their tools in this way that you'd think chatbots would excel at it. But then she continues, they don't. And one of the examples she also gives is that she told a chat GBT that she was a huge foodie and then asked it to basically adjust her LA itinerary accordingly so that she could get some good food in while she's in Los Angeles, right? And this is just a big experiment. And the funny thing is, is that it told her to go to a Michelin-starred restaurant for dinner, but it didn't actually say which one, where, or what type of food it had. It just told her that LA had some really good food, and if you like food, you should go to one of the michelin star restaurants. In reacting to this, she writes here in quotes, that's sort of like telling a person who likes music that maybe they'd be into a Grammy-winning artist and leave it at that. Facts. And now she then in this piece brings up just numbers, which I think are important here because some people might go, oh, well, she's just picky and she was forcing it to make this error because she understands Los Angeles and it's a complex city and blah, blah, blah. And it probably could be hard to plan a trip there. But then she talks about how a team of researchers at Fudan University in Shanghai, Ohio State University, the Ohio State University, Penn State and Meta actually came to find that, yeah, chatbots are pretty shitty at this. And They tested chatbots on a thousand sample queries, such as in quotes, please create a travel itinerary for a solo traveler departing from Jacksonville and heading to Los Angeles for a period of three days. The budget for the trip is now set at $2,400. And apparently they found that the chatbots actually just failed across the board at this. Apparently of the four different um, chatbots tested, OpenAI's GBT-4 was the best, but (laughs) this is not great. It answered only six queries out of a thousand or 0.6%. So basically of the thousand, it was really only able to help the 0.6%. Not, um, not great. And again, it seems to me like they're failing again for a lot of factors, but it's kind of similar to the hallucinations is reasoning errors. Sometimes they make stuff up and... I think the problem here, and I I see this in my life, is that a lot of people don't understand that we need these to supplement our life, not supplant them. We don't want them just supplanting our whole decision-making process. And because it seems like just still whether the data they're referencing is not complete or it's biased, imperfect, or there's just flaws in their models, it seems like they're not doing enough yet. And of course, they're good at simpler things as well, but I think Bridget Toussnant, um, the communications lead for the AI company Hugging Face, has a good point. She says, I can't emphasize this enough. These kinds of tools are meant to supplement, not supplant, our decision-making process. Totally agreed. Again, I, I just don't understand the hype around these quite yet, especially in this type of stuff when we're not actually seeing great results. But as I was talking with someone earlier about this, it's here, it seems like it's here to stay. 
But I think we just need to remind people that this is not supposed to just replace decision-making, full stop. And also, I think companies are going to have a lot of issues, as we talked about with the airline earlier as well. Anyways, moving on, I guess we're going to talk about in vitro fertilization, which for the rest of the episode, I'm just going to call IVF, just for simplicity reasons. I am not a medical expert, so this is going to be mainly my commentary on what's going on in the country. But just so people know, IVF is one of the many techniques that people can use to get pregnant if they have fertility problems. And basically during IVF, according to the NHS in the UK, so a reputable source here, an egg is removed from the woman's ovaries and fertilized with sperm in a laboratory. The fertilized egg, as we know, called an embryo, is then returned to the woman's womb to develop and grow. Interestingly enough, when I was teaching in Spain, I taught um, I taught science to sixth and seventh, or what was it? No, fifth and sixth graders, sorry. And we talked about IVF a lot because in the community I lived in outside of Madrid, IVF was actually pretty common. I, like IVF is kind of a booming thing in Spain right now. And I guess what you could say it was one of the reasons for that is that basically because adults now go to college and sometimes grad school, start their careers later, pay off their student loans, um, want a career now, both mom and dad want a career, you find that moms are having children later and having kids later, while not always, it can lead to having fertility issues. And so if the parents wait and have careers, maybe go to grad school as well, by the time they have a kid, there can be issues. And IVF has been a way for families to do it. And I, I lived and worked in a fairly um, upper middle class or wealthy community, um, township um, outside of Madrid. And you had a lot of professional parents that maybe waited later to have kids and did, did IVF. And I think that's common in the United States, but it kind of does explain that our culture and our society is changing where as parents have kids later, or you have more, say, gay couples, like two women who can't actually have a kid on their own, you need more ways to have children. And IVF is a definitely a productive and safe and effective way to do so. So all of that aside, the reason I bring this up is because I would argue that IVF is a way to help parents have children, parents that might have trouble. And so the pro-life, the so-called in quotes, pro-life Republicans that want to ban abortion and contraceptives and all of that, you would think they would want people to have kids. And you would think they would support IVF. Eh. The Alabama Supreme Court last week has actually ruled that frozen embryos can be considered children under state law. If it wasn't so depressing and insane, I would probably just start laughing because let's be completely fucking honest. Frozen embryos are not children. Even, just not even on a scientific scale, but just in a philosophical scale. They're not kids yet. They're not sentient beings. Like, I am so sick of this this, this argument. But anyways, I, this one really pisses me off. I, I was listening to a, a podcast on this and reading articles all morning. And I left I left to head out on the run, and I'm just I'm like, I'm glad I'm leaving for a while because I was just getting more and more frustrated the more I was reading about this. But yeah, Alabama Supreme Court finds frozen embryos can be considered children under state law. And this is basically raising concerns about how 
in vitro fertilization is going to be impacted in the state. And there's already a lot of clinics that are no longer doing it. And so we're seeing that. The Associated Press writes here in quotes, The decision was issued in a pair of wrongful death cases brought by three couples who had frozen embryos destroyed in an accident at a fertility clinic. Justices, citing anti-abortion language in the Alabama Constitution, ruled that an 1872 state law allowing parents to sue over the death of a minor child, in quotes, applies to all unborn children, regardless of their location. 1872. We could just call this episode, Alabama Wants Us Back in 1872, because, well, it feels that way. (sighs) Basically, the plaintiffs in this case from my understanding, had undergone IVF treatments that led to the creation of many embryos. And I guess some of them were implanted and the couples had healthy births. But the couples also, from my understanding, paid to keep some of the embryos frozen in a storage facility at the mobile, the mobile sorry, infirmary medical center in, in Alabama. And basically what happened is a patient wandered into the area and removed several of the embryos and dropped them on the floor and, according to the ruling, killed them. So what these plaintiffs, these couples, are basically saying is that they're not actually anti-IVF, but they are saying that these damaged embryos can be equated to the killing of a life. And, of course, in the volatile political chaos that we are currently in in the United States, this is basically saying that IVF and those embryos being removed and then put back into the body once once the whole process happens, these are lives. And now again, I am assuming, we haven't seen this happen yet, but I am assuming that you are going to see Planned Parenthood and other medical clinics, universities, hospitals in the state feel intimidated and feel threatened and not want to do this process because of this court ruling and because of the implications of what could happen to them. And do they get charged with murder if something happens? Again, it's the fear tactics once again. And it's it's bullshit. Now, the, the interesting thing here is that <laughs> I, I actually don't know if IVF gets banned in Alabama as of now, just because you're actually seeing Republicans around the country come out in support of IVF. And, and that actually includes Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, who, as you guys, I'm sure are aware, I'm not a huge fan of by any, any means here. And also, I think we're seeing at the same time that a lot of Republicans don't totally understand what IVF is and also weren't ready to react to this and probably wish this didn't happen. The best example is Tommy Tuberville. And he's had multiple different positions on the ruling, probably in less than two minutes, <laughs> which is fun. And I, I do think he's dumb. He's dumb. He maybe he understands football. He was a football coach, but you know, he I don't think politics is really his thing. But he said that he was all for the court ruling. He said in quotes, "You just got to look at everything going on in the country. It's just an attack on families, attacks on kids. You know, anything we can do for the future of our young people because they are our number one commodity." But then <laughs> in in less than a minute after saying that in an, in an interview, he says in excuse me, in quotes here, he says, we need to have more kids. We need to have an opportunity to do that. And I thought this was the right thing to do. And then he was on an NBC News interview and and basically he was pressed <laughs> about why he's against IVF because the, the NBC News reporter asked him, 
IVF is used to have more children, and right now IVF services are paused at some of the clinics in Alabama. Aren't you concerned that this could impact people who are trying to have kids? And then, then Tuberville, who is clearly stumped, he says, well, that's for another conversation. In quotes, I think the big thing right now is who to protect. You can go back to the situation and you try to work it out to where it's best for everybody. That's, why the whole, that's what the whole abortion issue is about. But then again, guys, this is what's insane is I think the Republicans are so set on, on basically no abortion, anti-trans rights, border, 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 no funding to Ukraine, that they're stuck in these loops. And so when IVF actually has nothing to do with abortion, they're just repeating the same talking points because they're kind of one, the, the Republican Party is just a one trick pony at this point. And when there's, I don't know, there's some sort of change or mutation in our country's politics, they don't know how to respond to it. Because basically, the, the language Tuberville is using in this right now is about abortion, not IVF. And it seems like a lot of Republicans around the country are reacting in similar ways. I am kind of surprised Greg Abbott's coming out for IVF shows he at least is politically smarter because this is going to be another electoral nightmare for Republicans and just a nightmare for women and people that want to have kids and just everyone, in my opinion. And I, I, I just, again, I hope Republicans just get completely spanked in 2024's general election. I want two healthy parties in this country, but I think until they lose and lose and lose again, they are just going to be as crazy. And so anyways, it does, Tuberville has now said that Alabama lawmakers are looking to draft and pass IVF protection bills. I am not a Tuberville fan, but I hope they do that. I do hope they do that. So anyways, I'm going to get out of here. Lots of interesting topics today. We've talked about Taco Bell, we've talked about chatbots, and we've talked about IVF. Quite a range. Probably a range you don't get on a lot of podcasts. So if you like what you're hearing, spread the word. Tell your friends and family. Tell your enemies. I don't care. But just spread the word. And uh, as always, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Enjoy the warm weather. We'll be back. <laughs>